News Network. A president leaves 300,000 guns on the ground to be picked up by the Taliban and then lectures us on the responsibility of gun ownership? Of course, this is the same man signing bills into law denying the biology of sex, confusing the right to decide which bathroom to use, stating anyone who doesn't agree is a terrorist and should be red flagged into oblivion? Clearly someone needs a good strong shot of the truth. Good thing we're here. We're TNN. And here's Dan Newman. Oh my gosh, he just faded away into nothing, did Pete Moss. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. Yeah, Uncle Joe, he is hard at it. Now, wait a minute. We're talking about Joe Biden, right? President of the United States, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, in the middle of this chaos and insanity going on in the Capitol, He's out on the road telling everybody he's going to do everything, 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 and it doesn't matter what anybody, the evil Republicans think. He's going to get it done. I've got the pen. I've got the authority. I'm president of the United States. I'm showing you that you made a mistake when you put that authoritarian Donald Trump in office for four years. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. I'm showing you. I'm a better authoritarian than you ever thought Donald Trump was going to be. I'm in charge. Hey there. (laughs) How are you doing? I want to say, first of all, thank you for letting me leave the microphone yesterday. My uh, mother-in-law, 97 years old, and she had never been sick. She weighed about 100 pounds. She went, ran, did all kind of stuff all the time. Happiest, most friendly person I've ever known. And she got early stages of Alzheimer, and over about a six-month period, she just declined rapidly. But we went to her funeral, and let me just say this. There are a lot of people in her town that loved that woman. She was a mainstay at her church in her community. About a thousand people at that funeral. That's not too many, is it? But anyway, we had a a wonderful time telling her goodbye. A lot of tears. Uh, Our two daughters, Kimby and Corey, they each got up and spent about three minutes each talking about Mama and their experiences with her. But more importantly, they shared with the audience the the uh, principles that they learned from their grandmother and how important that is. That's important for all of us. I mean, look at the nut jobs, those people that are in the Capitol supposedly representing us. Do you really feel like they're representing us in this crazy trek down the road to find who is the right Speaker of the House? I don't know if you stayed up late last night. But Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, the Republican that was odds-on, he was going to get it. He was going to get it. He was going to get it. 11 votes now. And he didn't get it. In fact, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Now, this is not a first in history. It's about the third in history. But it is a historical event. And there's a lot going on. I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. Have you asked a bunch of questions during this process about what is really going on behind the scenes? 
What's really happening? Well, a big portion of the show this morning is going to be just to reveal to you what's happening. We went inside. We went in and talked to the people that are in the middle of it. And you're going to hear from Representative Chip Roy. You're going to hear him on a Glenn Beck show two days ago when Chip Roy on the phone with Glenn answered all the questions and broke it down. And it gets even better. Matt Gates, Republican congressman from Florida, who has from the very beginning said, no, we're not going to vote for Kevin McCarthy. Matt Gates not only comes to you so that you can hear him, he stood out in front of the Capitol and talked to reporters. And they asked questions, why, 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 why? And he gave them exact facts. Have you wondered, have you listened to Kevin McCarthy? Have you listened to some of these other so-called conservative Republican leaders? And they talk about, oh, Kevin just gave those conservatives that are holding out those Republicans, those evil 20 or so, that they're trying to get anything and everything they can. They're blackmailing Kevin. And I'm paraphrasing but they never would say exactly what was going on. Between Chip Roy and Matt Gates this morning, you're going to hear exactly what was asked. And they both revealed, Chip Beck and Matt Gates specifics, the specifics of what this group has talked to Kevin McCarthy about, what would please them regarding the lack of leadership he has. Uh-huh. He's been in leadership in the Republican Party in the Congress for 14 years. They know him. They've watched him work. And listen, I went into this whole thing with a little question mark over Kevin McCarthy's head when I looked at him. He just seemed to be a little awry from the real conservative movements. My opinion, I didn't have any facts on which to base those feelings, but I felt them. And so when all of this began, I really plugged in when I saw what was happening happen because it was expressing the feelings that I had had for some time. I had a long conversation with my congressman about this whole thing, and I tried to get inside, you know, where you can go get some real answers. But those people in D.C., If they know that they're going on the record when they talk to you, you can book it. They're being really, really careful about what they say. They don't want to be exposed. Yeah, I'm teasing you about Chip Roy and Matt Gates. We're going to get into that. What else are we going to talk about? Well, there's a lot of things. There's so much going on, folks. It's just unbelievable when it is happening. We're going to, probably the first hour of the show, we're going to paint the whole um, speaker insanity that is going on. We're going to give you the real facts. We're going to talk about facts. You're going to end this get-together this morning, and you're going to know what's going on, and you'll know why the stuff that's happening is going on. Also, There are a lot of unanswered questions in the world about what? About a lot of things. But about those four Idaho students that were slaughtered in their beds 
and the perpetrator, the man charged, Koberger, and he is now in custody in Idaho. We opened up the affidavit, the arrest affidavit, and we have some of that inside scoop for you. Do you remember that Loudoun County dad that was arrested for trespassing at a public school board meeting because his daughter had been sexually molested in the bathroom of a public school and the school administrators did nothing about it? He was arrested. Well, he was charged and he was tried yesterday. We've got the results of that for you. And Joe Biden, as I said to begin the show, he's out on the trail, he's talking, he's talking big, and he's pointing fingers. He broke every one of the problems the United States of America is having, and he pointed to those that are responsible for every bit of it. And guess who he pointed at? Those evil Republicans. He gave a White House speech today, yesterday, I'm sorry, for the southern border invasion. We're going to break into that. A lot here today, a whole lot here today. So let's go ahead and get started. I'm trying to figure out which one of these men we need to go to first, Chip Roy or Matt Gates. Why don't we do this? Uh, this conversation between Glenn Beck and Chip Roy, it happened day before yesterday, but it went into the whys and what's about all this craziness that's going on. So here's what you do. You got your coffee in your hand. Just sit down for a few minutes. I'm going to wait about a minute. Do, 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 do. I played a little bit of the piano before the beginning of the funeral yesterday. My mother-in-law, I'm a keyboard guy, and she loved to listen to me play. And although she was laying in front of me, her body was laying in front of me, of course, she's, she's in a much better place. She couldn't physically hear me. It was kind of symbolic. And I played one song before the funeral started. Um, talk about an emotional day. Oh my gosh, what a great person she was. Marianne's a spitting image of her mom. She's a great person too. So you're sitting down, you got your coffee. Give me about seven or eight minutes. I want you to listen to Congressman Chip Roy. He's one of my heroes now. He's from Texas which is another good thing. And then Glenn Beck, who opens up the door on a lot of wrongdoing. That's what is in his rearview mirror in his media career. And he did just that with Chip Roy. Chip Roy is uh, with us. Talk to us about the battle for the Speaker of the House. Uh, Hello, Chip. How are you? Glenn, I'm doing well. Um, We're... uh... Uh, engaged in yet another series of meetings this morning. We were here till midnight last night at the Capitol, and we're going to continue to fight for the people that uh, sent us here to fight for them. Well, A, I appreciate that, and I hope that uh, America responds. I, I, I think the Carl Roves of the world are thinking that people like you are going to get a lot of calls and deluged, deluged at uh, your office today saying, don't you dare, you go with Speaker McCarthy. I think the other is going to happen because I'm I'm done, Chip. I'm done when the when the Senate passed the omnibus bill. I was done. If you guys don't have the freedom to investigate and the teeth and the backbone to act. 
actually do things in the interest of all Americans, why did we vote for any Republicans? Well, Glenn, that's the question. That is the central question. People have been asking, like, what's the message? And I tried to deliver a message on the floor of the House last night that what we're fighting for are the tools and the leadership necessary to stop the swamp from rolling over the average American who are sick and tired of seeing this town undermine their freedom, spend money we don't have, and continue to violate uh, every promise they've ever made in the campaign. I'm going to come up and I'm going to cut spending. We're going to balance the budget. Correct. We're going to secure the border. Bull. You saw what happened unfold with that ridiculous $1.7 trillion bill. There was no real significant pushback from the House leadership when Mitch McConnell stuck it to the American people, made it impossible for us to secure the border, took away our leverage, and did it so that the current D.C. establishment could get what they wanted in terms of a big spending bill for the defense complex and to jam through something that the American people didn't want. That's what we have to stop, Glenn. Okay, so that's what this is about. So I am with you. So now, it will will those of you who are uh, mounting this battle, is there a compromise McCarthy could make? So I would have told you um, 48 hours ago that the answer to that question was yes. The problem is is there is a growing group of hardcore no votes against Kevin because of the way things unfolded yesterday at the Republican conference meeting in which Mike Rogers stood up and threatened members from losing their committees. And when uh, lies were being told about what was uh, behind the motives of members seeking quote, petty personal uh, privileges and being on certain committees, which was a total lie because members offered in good faith. All right. Put me on the Appropriations Committee. I don't want to be in the Appropriations Committee, but I'll do it, right? Or put me on the Rules Committee. To, that was me. I said, sure, put my name on the Rules Committee as someone who would do it, even though I don't want to fly away from my home and miss my family on Sunday night and fly up here to be here on Monday mornings to set the rules. And the Rules Committee is the funnel through which all things get to the floor. The fight in 1923, when there were nine rounds of votes for the Speaker, the culmination of that was a complete change of the Rules Committee because it's so powerful. It's a secret committee kind of that nobody knows about that just sits there and decides what bills get to the floor, what's in them, and what it looks like. Mm. So we had a debate about that, and then people lied about it. So now you got a bunch of members that are saying, you know what? I can't trust them. I'm not going to be able to vote for the guy. Now, that being said, Glenn, literally the conversations I had till midnight last night and this morning is trying to work in good faith on how to change the institution. I, speaking for myself— would there be a path for me to get there? But the path for me requires us to be able to control the ability of, of the control of the legislation that gets to the floor and stop something like that omnibus bill in December. So hang on just a second. May I, may I just break this down for idiots like me? Uh, I think what you're saying is because I was stunned when I saw you all sitting in the chamber yesterday. I'm like, wow, I haven't seen that since turn of the century. Um, your the problem is all of these bills are being done behind closed doors by just a small group, and then it's brought to the floor not for discussion but for a vote, yes or no. And you Correct. want that to stop, right? Correct. Yeah, okay. and we made progress. And look, and Glenn, this is important. The progress we've made over the last sixty days to get rules is not because Kevin was standing up trying to figure out, oh, I've got these great ideas on how to make the place better. It was because some of us. Five in particular publicly that were no's 
said they weren't going to support Kevin. And then another seven of us signed a letter saying, here are the kinds of things we want to see change. That forced the conversation to get changed. Now these guys are running around saying, well, we gave you everything you want. No, you didn't. You gave us some things that will be an improvement, but you didn't give us the key things, which is what is necessary to stop big bills that the defense world and the liberals in the, in the, among Democrats jam through. Remember and consider, Kevin voted in the minority with more Democrats than Republicans on multiple bills over the last decade. Since he has been a Republican leadership, the debt has gone from $11 trillion to $32 trillion. He voted, for example, for good last. You don't need to talk. Right. I am not for right. I mean, I, I, and I get it. I, what, tell me what the specifics are that have to be changed, because I think people need to know specifically what are we fighting for? The key thing that I believe needs to change is that we have to have people on the rules committee who reflect the conservatives who send Republicans to Washington to change the town. That seems wonky. What is the real message? Is that we need conservatives, enough conservatives. I'm not saying put every Freedom Caucus member on there. I'm saying you need to have actual conservatives who will stand up in defense of the American people from the big spending in this town, be on the committees that actually determine what gets to the floor, combined with the changes to the rules that we are partway down the road and getting of opening up the floor so we can have amendments and debate on the floor so so that we can kill this stuff. So we're kind of halfway there, but halfway there ain't there. And so if they're not going to work with us to get us there, then that's the problem. And yesterday damaged that and may have created an environment where there's too many guys here saying we can't cut a deal with Kevin. I don't know. Mm. That's what we're working through. Um, And uh, is there somebody that you think everybody could agree on? Look, I think there's this. There's here's the problem. If I go out and say I think person X is the guy, then that might poison. Got it. Person got, it X. got it. Got it. So, so like, so we're having conversations. I promise you, there are people that would surprise you uh, that are in the sort of center of the world around McCarthy, who are having conversations openly, uh, or I say openly. I mean privately with us, but like having conversations. Um, but let me give you an example. I nominated yesterday. Two guys on the floor. I picked one. Byron Donalds was my first vote. Why did I pick Byron? Because Byron is a second-term congressman who is not sullied by the swamp. Mm. Successful businessman, father, conservative. He's a friend, proven track record, worked in the Texas – I'm sorry, the Florida legislature. He's a good man. The speaker doesn't have to know every ins and outs of the swamp to make it work. And in fact – we would be great. It would be a breath of fresh air to have someone who doesn't come with a taint of the swamp. Yes. So I picked Byron Donalds. Second, I nominated Jim Jordan. He's been here longer, but he's got a history and a track record of fighting the swamp. That's the whole point. Kevin doesn't have that. Okay. So if we're cutting a deal with Kevin, we better damn well get the rules that will box him in. Otherwise, you got to have a deal with a leader who you can trust to break the swamp, to break the cartel that's destroying our country, spending money we don't have, leaving our borders open, continuing to empower bureaucrats that undermine our freedom. We have to stop it, Glenn. The tools we need have to give us the tools to stop continuing to do the same thing we've been doing over and over again. While every single Republican goes back in campaigns and then comes to this godforsaken town and throws our country down the drain 
and undermines everything that the men and women in uniform have so fought so valiantly to save for our kids and our grandkids. That's what this is about. Uh, do you have, are you fighting for, or do you already have uh, enough power of investigation to be able to answer the, the questions that must be answered this year? Must be answered. So I would say we had we were going way down the path of organizing, and 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 we have the fire, and we're ready to go after uh, a lot of the entities that need to. Jim Jordan and Judiciary Committee, for example, and we've already been having lots of conversations and meetings. Everybody's freaking out. Oh, you don't have a speaker. It's like hold on, like 24 hours, 48 hours. Yeah, the world's not going to implode if we don't have a speaker in place while we try to get it right. But we're ready to go on a lot of these things. You would ask me, do we have everything? I think we need a more aggressive, expanded church committee-style effort to go after the weapons government. I think that we got some headway in that. There were some offers to do it. Um, that was, I think, good conversations were going on that, but they kind of stalled on Monday night uh, around other factors. So I think we made headway and we're in a good place to be able to do some good things with that. But we got a lot more work we need to do. Do you see us? Um, I think in twenty-nine or no, it was eighteen fifty-six. I think where it went on for like one hundred and thirty votes. Uh, do you see us in a 1856 or a 1920s kind of situation? Well, right now we're through three boats. We're going to go there in an hour and 15 minutes. We know there's going to be at least a fourth. Uh, my guess is there might be a fifth or a sixth, and we're going to continue to have conversations today. Um, there's a, like I said, there, Kevin doesn't have the votes. So we've got to work through and getting it there. And we're either going to get it there through fixing the rules and getting it to where we can protect the American people and do what we said we would do to stop the swamp, or we need a new leader or both. But we're working on it as hard as we know how to do. But the American people need to be patient, knowing that there's a group of people up here fighting for you. That's what this is about, fighting to defend the American people against the swamp. That's everything that we're trying to do. And the most effective thing any listener can do. Call your member and tell them to stand with us to get what we need to get to stop the swamp. And that means Kevin McCarthy needs to come to the table or we need a new leader. But don't go, you know, walk away and get, get, you know, don't walk away because you're hearing people go, oh, my God, you might end up with a Democrat speaker. That's only going to happen if Republicans vote for a Democrat. Republicans vote for Republicans. You get a Republican speaker. And we're going to keep working to do that. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Chip Roy. Uh, from the great state of uh, Texas, Congressman uh, from Texas. If you missed the very beginning of that, it is really, really important because, you know, we hear everything, all of the back and forth in the media. We see and hear these interviews, these members of the House that come out and give, and they're not giving us any facts. What, if I've heard it asked one time, I've heard it asked 200 times by media people to members of the House. What is it you want? And I understand that the asking and the answering and the negotiating, all of that takes place behind closed doors as it should. And I understand why, I really don't like it, but I understand why they they can't get specific with the American people. Now, what you just heard between Glenn Beck and Chip Roy was two days ago. We're way, way past those two and three and four and five and six and seven and eight and nine and ten, and now we're past 11 votes for the Speaker of the House. And Kevin McCarthy is actually losing ground in every one of these elections that they have. 
But I think it's critical now for the American people to understand we talk about all this stuff that you just heard Chip Roy say is going on and the processes by how they work. If you're a regular here, you've heard Mike Johnson on the show, and he more than once has explained to us we really must go back to the structure of crafting legislation. It's called regular order. I'll give you the quick snippet. When somebody wants to present a bill to be considered in the House, it goes to the Speaker of the House. The Speaker's office looks at it. The Speaker makes a determination if it's something that the House needs to take up. If so, they decide which committees those that bill needs to go to for consideration. It's sent to the committees. Then the committees convene, and they break apart that bill. They may debate it, which they almost always do, when they get the chance. Of late, none of that stuff ever goes to committee. It never sees the light of day until, as you just heard, Chip Roy say it, it never shows up until they present it on the floor and it's not to be debated, it's to be voted on. And they don't allow even now from the floor amendments to be proposed. Let's go back to the committees. They'll call witnesses. They'll get experts in there. They'll propose amendments. They'll debate the proposed amendments. They'll vote on the proposed amendments, and finally, when they get a finished product that's approved by the committee, then it goes back to the Speaker of the House, and then if the Speaker decides it should go to the floor for consideration from the floor, it goes out there. The same process that happens in committees then begins to happen on the floor. They debate it. They talk about amendments. They may propose some new amendments from the floor. They vote on the amendments, and then at the end of the day, they vote on the bill. If it passes, it's then sent across to the Senate. Now, that sounds a lot lot of stuff, doesn't it? And it is a lot of stuff. But you know what? Crafting the structure for America should be a lot of stuff. And instead, what we have and what you heard Chip Roy tell Glenn Beck is going on, people like McCarthy, the people in leadership on both parties, both sides, they have gotten now accustomed to not going through regular order. So all of these bills don't, or proposed bills don't go to the committees. In many cases, there are four or five people that sit in an office all day long At the last minute, they put a bill together, they present it to their leadership, and then the leadership, which used to be Nancy Pelosi, she announces, hey, we've got this bill ready. I'm going to send it to the floor for voting tomorrow. And by the way, when it goes to the floor, no amendments are going to be allowed. Now, she doesn't make that decision. You heard Chip Roy talk about it. Who makes that decision? The Rules Committee that is comprised of people that the House Speaker appoints. And so the Rules Committee can decide, hey, we're going to do this by regular order, Mr. Speaker or Mrs. Speaker. And they vote in their committee to do it by regular order, which is the process I just detailed to you. I know it's tedious, but it should be tedious. The people's business is critical for all of us. And we got to get this right. 
Now, Chip Roy gave you a lot of information with Glenn Beck asking him questions. But Congressman Matt Gates from Florida, he went one step further. He went out and stood up and talked to the media. And he told them, this is what's going on, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And then he let them ask questions. He didn't know who was going to ask what question. Matt Gates is here. He's up next. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gopperts from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. (gasps) We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. So here's where we are now. After a Thursday night vote, vote number 11, the preliminary results largely unchanged from all three of Wednesday's and Thursday's first votes. McCarthy got 200 last night, 200 votes, 20 Republicans voting for another candidate and one voted present. Lawmakers, they said after this, after the vote, that they are still in negotiations but are touting progress. (laughs) None of them say, hey, this is what we're looking for. I wonder what that means. They're touting progress. (laughs) I would think the only progress America needs to hear about is that we have a Speaker of the House so that the House can even be sworn in. All these new members, remember every two years, Every member of the U.S. House of Representatives, 435, they're re-elected if they're in office or if they're running new first-timers, they get elected. 
And without a speaker, nobody can be sworn in. So everybody, all 435 of them, they're in limbo. So there are a lot of unanswered questions out there and a lot of questions that we can't trust that are being answered. We can't trust the answers. Congressman Matt Gates from Florida, very controversial. He's young. He's very loud. But you always know what's on his mind and what and how he thinks how he does on every issue. He went out on the street, met with the press. Those of us who will not be voting for Kevin McCarthy today take no joy in this discomfort that this moment has brought. But if you want to drain the swamp, you cannot put the biggest alligator in charge of the exercise. I'm a Florida man and I know of what I speak. We offered Kevin McCarthy terms last evening that he rejected. We sought a vote in the first quarter of the 118th Congress on term limits. He refused. We wanted a budget from the Republican Study Committee that balances on the floor in the first quarter. He refused. We wanted the border plan that the Texas delegation put together on the floor. He refused. And it is true that we struggle with trust with Mr. McCarthy because time and again, his viewpoints, his positions, they shift like sands underneath you. Even Kevin McCarthy's own mentor recently said that the lies always change. And Mr. McCarthy is not only responsive to pressure from the right. Time and again, he has failed to achieve the goals that we seek on spending and on the fight. For months, we have been asking Mr. McCarthy for his battle plan. How do we ensure that we stand up for folks in the military who feel like they're being purged? How do we ensure that if there is the passage of a farm bill, it includes things like work requirements? And all we got was a handful of howdy and a mouthful of much obliged. So we do not want to be here at this moment. We would prefer to have a unity of purpose, but we will not continue to allow the uniparty to run this town without a fight. There's very little difference between Nancy Pelosi and her California delegation mate that seeks the gavel. And we want to change because this town is broken. And this is a person who has acknowledged in Mr. McCarthy that the town is broken, and he has been a part of that process for many years as a member of the leadership. We'll take some questions. Let me ask the three of you a question here. So let me just get clarify something. You're based on your remarks, Ms. Bogert's remarks, and Mr. Perry's remarks. Are you saying because we took things to this brink in the 11th hour right before the speaker's vote, he is unqualified to be speaker? In other words, a speaker, a leader, would have worked this out a long time ago. Is well, yeah, I reject the premise of the question. We did not take this to the brink. For many months, we have been presenting these ideas to Mr. McCarthy, and we have gotten strung along, and only, only on New Year's Eve did we see changes to the rules. And what's interesting about the meeting we just had is our colleagues broadly celebrated rules changes that many of us had been fighting for to ensure that we had an opportunity to read the bills before voting on them so that we did not get log-rolled with multiple pieces of legislation put together that don't have the same subject, so that we had germanity rules, so things like the National Defense Authorization Act wouldn't be amended onto a water infrastructure bill. And we did not get timely responses from Mr. McCarthy. We did not get substantive responses from Mr. McCarthy because I think he thought that just by going on your network and others that he would browbeat us into submission to the swamp. And we're not going to do that. So just to be clear, none of what you heard in there from McCarthy was enough to get your support. Everything I heard hardened my resolve that this town desperately needs change. And if it's a few of us who have to stand in the breach to force it, we are willing to do so for as long as it takes. You, so you heard it 
directly from the horse's mouth, Matt Gates, Chip Roy, two firebrand Republican members of the House of Representatives, and they laid it out there. It's the first time we've heard it publicly. I've heard the question asked over and over and over again. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Well, I understand why these members of the House didn't want to go out public with the media because they're in negotiations still with Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader, former minority leader. He's not even sworn in yet. None of them are. And so everything you heard Chip Roy say, the actual facts of what has happened, Matt Gates, I mean, in three minutes, he just strung it out there. There were two dozen things that he said they asked for, things that you and I, we understand after understanding what regular order is. If these bills had been passed through regular order, all the answers would already be there. But they wait till the last minute, and then they send four or five of their underlings in the back rooms, and they stay up all night long working on this really tedious stuff. And if you've never read a bill, a congressional bill, you need to do it. You can find them. Go to the top, the very first part of them. And almost probably 80% of each bill, the substance of what the bill is about is not in the bill that you're reading. They refer to previous bills and laws that had been passed, article, yada, 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 section, line, such, 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 according to that, then this is going to happen, and we're going to do it like this other bill, chapter, paragraph. You understand what I'm talking about. And it's virtually impossible for our lawmakers in a really short time not going through regular order. They've not broken them down. They haven't had that opportunity to find out what's really in these pieces of legislation that these hardcore leaders, and it's not just Democrats. We're talking about Kevin McCarthy. He's been in Republican leadership in the House for 14 years. And they find their way into the swamp and they want to be the biggest alligators in the swamp and then they can do anything they want and because of all of the stuff you heard Chip Roy and Matt Gates complain about, they're insulated. They have all the power. They're the only ones that can make firm decisions about what will and what won't be even considered, even be looked at. That $1.7 trillion omnibus bill from a couple of weeks ago, they released it at like 4 o'clock in the morning one day. Not that day, but the next day, it went to the floor to be voted on. No regular order, no committees, no amendments. Nobody was even allowed to offer an amendment. They couldn't debate it on the full floor. That comes from the Rules Committee that you just heard both Chip Roy and Matt Gates talk about. Kevin McCarthy, if he becomes Speaker, would have the power to break all of that apart and all of these conservatives. And i got to be honest with you. I'm shocked that there are only 20 that are voting against Kevin McCarthy, knowing that all of this stuff you and I just heard about not only is going on today, it's been going on for years. Our government 
is broken. When Donald Trump went to D.C., he labeled D.C. the swamp, and everybody that was in that are the swamp creatures. And his commitment to America was to drain the swamp. He did a really darn good job. He got it way, way drained. But he found out that swamp had not been built and populated over just a few legislative terms. It had developed over decades and even a couple of centuries. And those swamp creatures, they didn't want to get kicked out of the swamp. And they push back, and they're still pushing back. I don't know if we're going to get this resolved anytime soon. Listening to those two guys, it seems to me like we may be in for a long haul. And remember, in the middle of all of this, we don't have an operating House of Representatives. Not a single one of the 435 have been sworn in. They're not members of the House think about that. So where do you think after the 11, the 11th vote that Kevin McCarthy lost last night, where do you think he is? CNN asked him when he would realize he's short of the needed votes to become speaker. And McCarthy popped off and replied, after I win. He also talked about the gridlock on the House floor. 20 House conservatives have opposed him through every round of voting for three days. Three days now. We're going into day number four. It's all going to be this way until an agreement comes out, he said. One tweet said this, just ask Kevin McCarthy about why he can't pick off any of the 20 R's. He's talking about the Republicans. It's all going to be this way until an agreement comes. Ask why it's been so hard for him, McCarthy said, I think it's great. If you think it's so hard when it comes, I want to see what you write. Now, here's what's got to happen for McCarthy to win the speakership vote. He's got to convince 16 Republicans to back him that are not backing him now. 16. His margin of error is four votes if all Democrats show up and vote on the House floor, which they have done in every case for one person. McCarthy's tried to negotiate with conservatives. Conservatives have tried to negotiate with McCarthy. Now, the story that he's putting out is this. I conceded more than 15 requests from the conservative holdouts to become Speaker, but the critics claim some of the concessions are not enforceable. So on Wednesday, McCarthy rolled out four new ones. They include permitting one member motion threshold needed to force a vote to oust a speaker, just one, instead of five. Giving more House Freedom Caucus members on the House Rules Committee, two seats. That's where all of this craziness about the way that the legal structure of how bills are handled before they're voted on and even how the voting process works. It's the House Rules Committee. He offered to give conservatives two more seats, pledging to hold votes on lawmakers' term limit and border security bills and allowing major changes to the appropriations process to prevent another omnibus bill by allowing any lawmaker to offer floor amendments. They haven't been doing that. 
there have been no floor amendments that could be offered. Americans don't know that. The average American, he just assumes what he learned in American history when he was in school, he or she, about the way government runs, about how legislation is crafted and how our government works, that it's all just still trucking along. Uh Uh-uh. It's been morphed into a swamp creature. So you just heard from Chip Roy, Matt Gates, despite these recent concessions we just talked about, most of, if not all of the 20 conservatives have been adamant in their opposition to McCarthy. Make no mistake, I'll continue to do what's right, not what's easy, and I'll stay on target until the job is done and the status quo is defeated. That's Representative Scott Perry, a Republican from Pennsylvania. Well, they tell us they're going to keep voting, so we'll see what happens today. Um, It's a quagmire, and if any of you, any Americans felt like things were clicking along and we only had a few little things we needed to tweak to get the machine running correctly. <laughs> you were wrong. So who are these guys? Who? Well, there's some women. Who are they? The 21 Republicans that are voting against McCarthy. Representative Andy Biggs of Arizona, Dan Bishop from North Carolina, Lauren Boebert, Colorado, Josh Brekeen, Oklahoma, Michael Cloud of Texas, Eli Crane from Arizona, Andrew Clyde from Georgia, Byron Donalds from Florida, Matt Gates from Florida, Bob Good from Virginia, Paul Gosar from Arizona, Andy Harris from Maryland, Anna Paulina Luna from Florida, Mary Miller from Illinois, Ralph Norman, South Carolina, Andy Ogles from Tennessee, Scott Perry from Pennsylvania, Matt Rosendale from Montana, Chip Roy from Texas, Keith Self from Texas, and Victoria Sparts from Indiana. Now, which of these are not returning? Which of these are congressmen or congresswomen elect? That means they haven't been sworn in at all. Looking down this list, let me see who it is. Representative-elect Anna Paulina Luna from Florida, She's one. Andy Ogles from Tennessee. Keith Self from Texas. Now, why did I bring that up? I wanted you to understand that was three people. 18, they've been there. They've been working supposedly with minority leader Kevin McCarthy at least for the last two years. And they were just reelected. So they've been part of the process. This is not newbies that they're getting pulled in and said, hey, hey, buddy. Hey, lady, you got to listen to us. You don't know how this all works. Let me tell you how it works and what you must do. Those are for the newbies. There's only three out of these 21. Ongoing negotiations. I hate to hear that term. All 212 House Democrats have continued to vote every time. All 11 elections for Democrat Hakeem Jeffries to be Speaker of the House. Hakeem Jeffries. So, I don't know. Just in case McCarthy doesn't 
push through and make this thing, make it go, doesn't cross the goal line, who is standing in the wings? What other Republicans are out there? Well, here are a few. Representative-elect Byron Donalds, I like him a lot. He's an African-American guy, former businessman. He was in the Congress for the first time two years ago. He was just re-elected. During the first two votes for Speaker, Byron Donalds gave his vote to McCarthy, but he switched gears and he picked Jim Jordan of Ohio in the third round. He was the first member of the Republican Congress to change his vote. He was later nominated for Speaker, quickly rounded up support by a majority of those 20 members who oppose Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. Byron Donalds, this is only his second term when he starts it, which, again, none of them have. I got to be honest with you. I kind of like the idea of it. He understands business really, really well. He's very structured, very organized. He's a Christian. He's very outspoken, and he tells it like it is. He's not corrupted by the swamp. He hasn't been in leadership for 14 years, as has Kevin McCarthy. And so Byron, I'm sure I've heard him speak a lot in the Congress. I heard him speak when he was on the campaign trail. I liked him from the beginning. I think he'd be a good one. He'd have to have some help, but he's been there long enough to know who could be the best to pull into his to his tent and work with him to make this thing right. And then there's my buddy from South Louisiana. He's been on the show, Congressman Steve Scalise. He's the number two Republican in the House, and he's Kevin McCarthy's deputy. He has been floated as a potential alternative as all this stuff is dragged on. He too, like many of them, like most of them, he denies any interest in being Speaker. Many still see him as a viable alternative to Kevin McCarthy. He's 57 years old, 12 years younger than me. And if you don't remember who he is, he's the guy that was shot and desperately he almost lost his life. It took him a long time to recover. You remember that Republican uh, baseball where they were warming up for that game and that Democrat guy had a rifle and he started shooting. Nobody talks about that guy. You know, it's it's these crazy Republican anarchist. It was a Democrat that took him out. And so he's a possibility. And then there's Elise Stefanik from New York. She is now the third-ranking Republican in the House. She's not even been nominated in the race for House Speaker yet, but that hadn't stopped some folks from including her on the list of alternatives, possible alternatives to McCarthy. She served as the chair of the House Republican Conference since 2021, which is a big deal. She replaced that firebrand that everybody loved, (laughs) former Representative Liz Cheney from Wyoming. And Stefanik became the youngest woman ever elected to Congress at the time when she first entered the House in 2014. And then here's a name that'll shock you. I'm going to throw it out there. Former President Donald Trump. Now, wait a minute. Yep, I'm telling you. Speaker of the House does not have to be a member of Congress. In fact, it can be somebody that has nothing to do with politics. 
That's interesting the way that was structured from the beginning. And by the way, it's never been changed. Trump endorsed McCarthy's nomination, and he re-endorsed it after three failed votes. Several of Trump's close allies in the House are within the Never Kevin camp, and they've been bashed for holding up the House Speaker race. So despite Trump's support that he has expressed for McCarthy's Speaker bid, he was named a candidate on the House floor by the congressman you just heard a little bit ago, Matt Gates, Florida. He nominated Donald Trump. Trump currently has his sights set on another term in the White House, which he has formally declared he's going to run in 2024. Although he's not been officially nominated as a speaker candidate, several of the Never Kevin members are vocal supporters of Trump. They just might decide to give him their vote should the House continue to draw out their election. Though a non-House member has never been elected speaker, it's still possible for Trump to win and not serve as a representative which would take away one vote. That could change some things. I don't think it's going to happen, but a lot of people are talking about it. You heard Chip Roy talk about Jim Jordan. He's a firebrand congressman from Ohio. I like him a lot. He says it just like it is. So he too said, not, not interested. He was the second Republican candidate to be nominated for the speaker position. So after several Congress members voted for him on the first ballot for Speaker on Tuesday, he was officially nominated by Matt Gates on the second ballot. While many of the members seeking to block McCarthy's speakership bid, they rallied support for Jim Jordan, pledged his support to McCarthy on the House floor, and urged others to do the same thing. Here's what he said from the floor, quote, It's a privilege. It's an opportunity. We owe it to them, the American people, the good people of this great country, to step forward, to come together, get a speaker elected so we can address these three things. And if he doesn't end up being the speaker, he is targeted to become the chair of the House Judiciary Committee where he has served as ranking member in the Democratic-controlled House, and that's one of the most important and most powerful committees in the House of Representatives. Now, just throw this little funny out there for you. Donald Trump, he defeated his Democrat rival, Nancy Pelosi. How about that? Yesterday, after eight unsuccessful attempts, now they've had three more since, But after eight election trials, Trump got two total votes, while Pelosi got zero. (laughs) So Trump beat Pelosi. Now, once again, keep in mind, it is possible, and there are multiple scenarios in which a Democrat, even though there is a Republican majority in the House, a Democrat could end up becoming House Speaker, and then still be in the minority, that would be a nightmare. I think everybody thinks, oh my God, we can't let that happen. Please, please don't let that happen. 
So let's just tell you this. I wanted to bring Chip Roy with Glenn Beck, and I wanted to bring Matt Gates so you could listen as they broke down the real substance of what these holdouts, these 20, 20 holdouts, are demanding from Kevin McCarthy. And everything they're demanding, after you hear it coming out, I still don't understand why everybody of these 20 aren't out there parading around, getting in front of cameras like Matt Gates did, and just laying it out there. But it's Washington, D.C. What else can I say? What's coming up now? Some good news coming out of Idaho today, and it's not about the four kids that were murdered. It's about a finding of the Idaho Supreme Court. That's up next. And that guy, the accused murderer of those four, is now back in Idaho. And we've got the details from his arrest affidavit. That and a whole bunch more. You're not going anywhere. Grab you a quick cup of coffee or Coke. Come right back. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounder with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. If you're a regular here, you know how much I really like Steely Dan. That's one of their big hits really in the years. When I was in college, now I went to Louisiana Tech. I graduated from high school in 1971. Um, that spring, that fall, I went to Louisiana Tech, and that's where I got my education, and that's where I found the greatest thing that's ever happened to me after Jesus 
my wife. Marianne is gorgeous, drop-dead gorgeous. And I, I, I still, 47 years later, almost 48 now, Valentine's Day, we will have been married 48 years. And some guys would say, and yeah, and it seems like 70 years. Nope, for me, it seems like maybe 20 at the most. But we have three amazing kids And again, for those of you that weren't here at the top of the hour, I want to say thank you for understanding what happened yesterday. Marianne's mom passed away, who was the most amazing woman. If you knew Hazel Tyler, and there are a lot of people that live other places in the United States that know her well, actually, or know her reputation, she was amazing. The church, First Baptist Church in Minden, Louisiana, was packed. It was unbelievable, all the people. And we were there for hours. I mean, it was really cool. And our two daughters got up, and they talked, each of them, for about three or four minutes about Mamma and what she meant to them. And everybody was crying. I was crying. Our girls are amazing. Our oldest is, let's see, Kimby is 47. And Corey is 46, and Caleb, our baby, 6'9", 350 pounds, baby, is 42. So we've been, you know, we've been being a family for a while. First time I saw Marianne and knew who she was, it was at a college basketball game at Louisiana Tech. I was sitting on one side of the court, and she was a pom-pom girl. And uh, she was as, and is beautiful. And a Southern girl, Southern blonde, both of our daughters are as well. She just knocked me over, just looking at her. Now, you got to remember, I'd never met her. I didn't even know who she was. And she's across a basketball court. And I was pretty shy back then. It took me a while to get introduced to her and then took me a while after that to start dating. But I tell everybody, she was a pom-pom girl. The first thing I noticed about her was her (laughs) pom-poms. I get in trouble when I say that in public. Wait a minute. This is going international, (laughs) what you're saying, Dan. You need to be a little more careful. Anyway, we are blessed. I, again, thank you for letting me take that time off to go to that funeral. We don't miss shows very often, do we? What's going on in Idaho that I told you about? Well, yesterday, the Idaho Supreme Court issued a decision that upheld the Idaho near-total abortion ban. The court suit to get it kicked out was filed by Planned Parenthood. A 3-2 decision. Chief Justice G. Richard Bevan, Justice Gregory Miller, and Justice Robin Brody decided to dismiss the lawsuit brought by Planned Parenthood against the state of Idaho. The lawsuit was trying to stop the state's abortion law from taking effect after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. The Idaho law, which was passed in 2020, bans all abortions in Idaho with the exception of rape or incest cases that are reported to law enforcement. After Roe was overturned, the law was allowed to go into effect. A doctor can also perform an abortion if, quote, in his good faith medical judgment 
and based on the facts known to the physician at the time that the abortion was necessary to prevent the death of the pregnant woman. That's the words in the law. So they released their case opinion yesterday. In it, Brody said the Idaho Constitution doesn't have a right to abortion. Here's what he said. The Idaho Constitution does not contain an explicit right to abortion. Nevertheless, petitioners argue that certain provisions implicitly enshrine abortion as a right entitled to heightened protection from the legislature's broad power to regulate conduct. Since Idaho became a state back in 1890, this court has repeatedly interpreted the Idaho Constitution based on the plain and ordinary meaning of its text as intended by those who framed and adopted the provision when it was issued. That's our duty as the judicial branch to sustain the rule of law, not to promote our personal policy preferences. I like that. I like what that judge said because it makes sense. We have a group of hardcore sycophants that want to make the U.S. Constitution be interpreted in the courts based on what judges think the founders meant when they wrote the Constitution rather than just adopting the verbiage in every part of the Constitution. Planned Parenthood tried to do that in Idaho, and it didn't work. So there's a bunch of other news from Idaho. Police have now unsealed the arrest affidavit that reveals why they have pointed the finger at Brian Koberger more than a month after four students were slaughtered in their beds. This explosive document, it shows how painstaking work by Moscow police and the FBI tracked down this 28-year-old criminal justice graduate student all the way across the country in Pennsylvania. Yesterday, he appeared in court. He was denied bail. It was a really brief court appearance shortly after the affidavit outlining some of the case content against him was shared online. It included, the affidavit included details on how his DNA was found on a knife sheath close to the bodies of Maddie Mogan and Kaylee Goncalves. However, the long-awaited revelations have brought a series of questions about the brutal slaying. It seems like it happened yesterday. You know, this happened November the 13th. Hmm. There are still some missing pieces of information that court documents and hearings failed to give answer to, like why did Dylan wait six hours before calling 911 despite coming face-to-face with the killer? And what's that about? The surviving roommate, Dylan Mortensen, he's under a lot of pressure, as you can imagine, because he's the only survivor. Four were killed. They were all in the same house at the time. He's under pressure to give information why she failed to call the authorities earlier despite coming face-to-face with a bushy-eyebrowed killer. Probable cause affidavit revealed that Mortensen, who lived through the attack with Bethany Funk, heard several scuffles throughout the night, opened her door. 
Martinson told the cops she saw a suspect dressed in all black with a mask covering his face and heard one of her housemates say, there's someone here. I don't know about you, but that would kind of let me know there was something afoot, something sinister. She also heard, allegedly, the suspect say, it's okay, I'm here to help you, as he wondered the house committing those atrocities. Police confirmed that a 911 call was made by one of the surviving roommates at 1158 who requested help for an unconscious person, though it has not been confirmed who called the police. It's raised a question of why Martinson didn't contact authorities sooner, with some arguing that she may have been frozen with fear. The roommate did not contact authorities for six hours. This just stinks to me. I don't care who you are. Six hours? I mean, you're living in a house and there are four of your roommates that are brutally slaughtered. And I mean, it was nasty. And you didn't call the cops for six hours? Court documents show she opened her bedroom door a couple of times throughout the night. She told cops she was awakened at about 4 a.m. by what sounded like victim Kaylee Goncalves playing with her dog in a third-floor bedroom. She said she looked out of her room, didn't see anything, looked again a second time when she thought that Jana Kernodal was crying. Mortensen said she opened the door for the third time after she heard crying and saw a figure clad in black clothing, a mask that covered the person's mouth and nose, walking towards her. After the man moved towards her, she said that she remained in a frozen shock phase as he just walked right by her and let her survive. It's not clear why both Funk and Mortensen were allowed to live, with the latter coming to face-to-face with her housemate's murderer. So why were the four? Why would the four students be his targets? He's accused of staking out the students at the home in Moscow on at least 12 occasions before the murders. None of this has come out until now. Cops, they detail his every move on the day of the killings, helped by surveillance footage of his car, cell site data from his phone. But both the manner in which the students were killed and why they were targeted have been omitted from the report. We don't even know if the cops know that. I think they do. Both the manner in which the students met their deaths and why, nobody's talking about. A coroner's report was redacted from the affidavit with authorities previously confirming all four suffered severe wounds. One of the questions that's not been answered is why Koberger allegedly targeted the four and left the two roommates to live. He was tracked to the area of the home in the months leading up to the deaths by his telephone. But officials haven't yet confirmed how he became aware of the students in the first place. Listen, he lived just a few miles away. He didn't go to that school. He went to another school in Washington, right across the border. But 
students in college, they go party. So you've got towns that are less than 20 miles apart. Both of them have colleges. You and I both know there are clubs that have students from both colleges and a lot of other young people in the communities around congregating, getting together. And these were all roommates and we're told they hung together. So he saw them out in the public. I guarantee you, we'll find out. That's how he targeted them. The affidavit states the cops made efforts to determine if Koberger stalked any of the victims before the killings. It added that they looked into if he conducted surveillance on the King Road residents and was in contact with any of them or their associates before or after the slaughter happened. But it doesn't elaborate how the students came to be on the radar of the Washington State University Ph.D. student, simply that he had stalked them for a period of time in the early morning and late evenings. Why didn't he kill the dog? One of the biggest questions, why the dog that Kaylee Concalvis shared with her ex-boyfriend, Jack DeCour, wasn't killed? All of the roommates regularly shared footage online of them having a bunch of fun with Murphy featured prominently in their social media post. The pooch was confirmed by Moscow police to have, he survived the attack and is now being cared for by a responsible person. Murphy has since been returned to the care of the Con Galvis ex-boyfriend with the pair sharing custody of the dog. He's really cute. He's a labradoodle. The affidavit showed that Martinson heard what she thought was Gun Calvis playing with Murphy during the night. But cops say that both Con Calvis and Maddie Mogan were found dead in a bedroom while Murphy was locked up in another room, a separate room. Koberger's understood to have been a practicing vegan and once made his family members throw out and purchase new pans, which had never touched meat. Now, I don't know about you, but that tells me a lot about somebody. So anti-meat that they don't want the pans that cook their veggies to have ever even been touched by meat. That's what he was doing. Speculation, he may or may not have seen the dog while in the property or the killing of an animal could be linked to his vegan beliefs. We don't know. Probably, maybe, we'll never know. Murphy was found in Goncalves' room by Officer Nunes of Moscow Police when the cops got there. Did the cops wait eight days before appealing for help with Elantra to avoid spooking the killer? That's another question raised by the affidavit. If police were concerned about spooking Koberger into fleeing after linking a vehicle seen at the crime scene to him, is that what happened? Police tracked down that very infamous now white Hyundai Elantra, which appeared to be leaving the scene with the Washington State University officer spotting the car when looking through some footage. In the affidavit, officers, they said they became aware of that car in a few days after the killings and linked it back to Koberger on November 29th, initially, Moscow police said law enforcement to be on the lookout on November 25th with Officer Tiengo 
locating Koberger's vehicle. However, these cops did not issue an appeal to help trace the vehicle until the 7th of December. They asked for information relating to the, quote, occupants of a white 2011 to 2013 Hyundai Elantra. The police added they thought that the occupants of that car may have critical information to share regarding the case. But they already had linked the car back to Koberger's, one of the few vehicles matching the description in the area. The Post added, at this time, no suspect has been identified and only vetted information that does not hinder our investigation will be released to the public. It's also not clear if the use of the word occupants was deliberate. They they spelled in their post the word occupants. They wrote it with occupant, O-C-C-U-P-A-N-T, and then they put an S in parentheses, which basically means occupant or occupants. We don't know if that was deliberate in order to make Koberger believe that they were unaware of how many people were in the car. So where's a murder weapon? Chief of Police James Fry confirmed when they announced they had arrested Koberger that they were still looking for the knife that he used. He appealed for information regarding, the sheriff did, the chief, regarding the whereabouts of the murder weapon, which was not found despite a sheath being discovered at the scene. And by the way, Koberger's DNA was found on the snap button of the sheath that was found there. The sheath is described as tan leather with the United States Marine Corps, USMC, and K-Bar insignia stitch on its exterior. It was discovered on a single bed next to the bodies of Mogan and Goncalves, who had been stabbed multiple times. Now I'm asking this, why the heck would he leave the sheath? That just doesn't seem to fit. It's my thought. The location of the murder weapon is a question that's baffled the cops since the murders took place. Police were seen collecting contents of trash cans close by as part of the search for the edged weapon they believe was used in the killings. The trash was taken to a local garbage depot where hazmat-suited cops were seen sifting through garbage bags in a screened-off shed. However, cops allowed a garbage truck filled with trash to collect a dumpster from the house where the four university students were knifed to death before it had been searched. That mistake made the search for the knife used in the gruesome attack that much more difficult. Photos show cops in a desperate conversation with garbage men from Inland North Waste, which eventually resulted in hazmat-suited officers having to search the full contents of the truck. Did the killer work alone? And this is the last thing we're going to talk about. This is the question that really puzzles me. Authorities are still, they're looking for anyone with information on the killer or the quadruple murders to get in touch. Chief of Police James Fry refused to rule out that the killer had an accomplice. And he said that during a press conference when he confirmed Koberger had been arrested. But he added, 
We have an individual in custody who committed these horrible crimes. When he was appealing for more information on the white Hyundai, police used the word, as I told you, occupants, in an apparent bid to not rule out Koberger working with someone else. Officers also said in the days after the murders there was no threat for the wider community before backtracking on the comments. Police have consistently claimed that the attack appeared to have been targeted, but have refused to say why or if they believe Koberger had any help. They were also quick to rule out other potential suspects, but have never publicly said that they think the only one person killed the four students. Details of motive and a possible accomplice are expected to come out at trial if Koberger denies the allegations. Now, this all just came out from the affidavit. It was revealed to the press yesterday. There's going to be so much more. And this whole case, it just really, really troubles me. And there's some more that came out yesterday. His phone pinged at the scene of that quadruple homicide just hours after the murders of those students took place and at least 12 times prior to the massacre. Investigators determined the phone is registered to Koberger and it pinged at the crime scene around 9 a.m. at that same day. That school, I didn't even tell you the school. He goes to Washington State, or he did, Washington State University in Pullman, just a few miles away from that Idaho city where the murders happened. Interesting. Your phone doesn't ping. Your cell phone doesn't ping at a location unless the phone is there. And, duh, most of the time, I don't know about you, but my cell phone, when it is even able to ping a cell tower, it's in my pocket. He was there. I mean, come on now. Logic, pretty much all the time, ends up being factual. Now, something came up, and it was a big deal this week, but very little was said about it. Matt Taibbi, you know the name. He is a journalist that for some reason Elon Musk felt like he could start these Twitter file dumps and give them to Taibbi. There's a couple of other journalists he does it with as well. Taibbi on the Tucker show, Tucker Carlson on Fox News, nighttime show. Um, Tucker had him on and they talked about this latest file dump. There's one this past week and its contents and what's going on. Now, here's my concern about this. There is so much information concealed in these files that Elon Musk is releasing to the American people that were purposely withheld by the former leadership and the former Twitter organization. It's nothing like it was, by the way, and that's why I said the former Twitter organization. But Elon wants the American people to get the facts. So in this Twitter file, there's even more damning information. 
about the people's government officials. Matt, thanks so much for coming on. So I, I would just offer thanks to our for audience me, um, your extensive reporting on this, which is on Twitter and on your Substack. But to summarize, having looked at these documents for weeks now, how deep was the penetration of Twitter by U.S. law enforcement and intel agencies? I think we can say pretty conclusively after looking at tens of thousands of emails over the course of these weeks that the government was in the censorship business in a huge way. Uh, that's, I think, provable now. Uh, and not just one agency, really every conceivable wing of the enforcement uh, agencies of the U.S. government were in some way or another sending moderation requests to Twitter. And in many cases, those requests were being fulfilled. And they were coming from everywhere, from every place, from the NSA to the HHS to FBI, DHS, uh, and even what they call other government agencies, which I think is code for the CIA. So we have yeah, reports from all over, from states, from police departments, everywhere. So that's prima facie illegal. It's unconstitutional. Government cannot censor political speech. It could not be clearer. Our assumption is that this was made possible because of hysteria about Russian penetration of our politics. Is that, is that your read of it? Absolutely, yeah. I think the, the thread that I put out yesterday traces the history of what happened, uh, particularly in the fall of 2017. Twitter somewhat naively thought that they would not be sucked into the Russiagate phenomenon. They really thought this was going to be Facebook's problem alone. Uh, but when it started to become politically very difficult for them and people like uh, the ranking Democrat on the Senate Intel Committee, Mark Warner, the senator of Virginia, uh, put pressure on them. Uh, there was an email that talked about how he was pressuring them to, quote, keep producing material for them. Uh, ultimately, Twitter ended up caving. And by the end of the year, they had an internal guidance, which I think is very significant, where they said publicly, we will only remove content at our sole discretion. Privately, we will remove content uh, that any content that's identified by the United States intelligence community as a foreign state actor conducting cyber operations. So if the intel community says we take it down, uh, we're going to take it down. And, and of course, a lot of the people who were censored were not foreign state actors. In at least one case that you documented, this was a journalist. And I, and I have to ask, there are a lot of different nonprofit organizations that purport to defend free speech on behalf of journalists. I won't even bother to name them, but there are a lot of them. Have any have any of them weighed in on this and raised holy hell? No, and that's been a profound disappointment. Um, you know, for me personally, I, I gave to the ACLU for years. I'm one of those sort of dyed-in-the-wool uh, liberals and grew up that way. I'm deeply disappointed. I think a lot of people uh, who are sort of politically on that side of the aisle um, are missing the boat on this. They don't understand the gravity of the situation. They're thinking about this in partisan terms. It's not a partisan story. This is a story about the architecture uh, of the intelligence community and law enforcement getting its hands on speech and on the ability for pe of people to communicate with one another through platforms like Twitter and Facebook. And they're doing this in a very profound way, much more serious than I thought it was, uh, at the beginning of this story. In, in relative terms, Twitter is a smaller player. I mean, you have Facebook and Google that, that dwarf it in size. I mean, uh, we've got to assume that those two companies are as penetrated as Twitter has been, don't we? 
Yes, and, and, and there's evidence for that. Uh, certainly, we've seen uh, that they had what they called weekly uh, or monthly industry meetings with the DHS and the FBI, uh, and those included a, a number of companies, including Facebook, in some cases, Wikipedia, Pinterest. Uh, there were a whole series of companies that were included in, in these communications. Um, how deep the penetration goes in, in those other companies, I can't say, but I do know that they had very close communications. And in Twitter's case, the number of requests that, that came in was really overwhelming. Your previous guest, Michael Schellenberger, talked about how they were uh, paid $3 million by the FBI. They were underpaid. They were doing so much work for the government in terms of uh, reviewing these documents that uh, they, they should have been compensated a lot more for their work. How can it be a free society or a democracy if law enforcement and intel agencies are determining what we can say? Well, people are hiding behind the fig leaf of, well, they didn't formally ask, they didn't demand that you do it, but um, how much of an ask is it really? How voluntary is it really when the FBI or the NSA or the CIA or the DHS comes to your company and presents you with an Excel spreadsheet of thousands of names and says, we assess that these, uh, these accounts are linked to the Internet Research Agency and they're foreign threat actors. Um, I think these companies feel enormous pressure to do the moderation and the initial work that we've done proves that they did so. Yeah. It, this is one, there are many problems that beset American society. This is a simple one to fix. Just ban it. Government agencies are not allowed to censor speech in the United States. I, I think it's a pretty easy thing to remedy. And we wouldn't know about it were it not for your efforts. Thank you, Matt Taibbi. Doesn't it seem kind of trite and simple to say, like Tucker did, there's a way to fix it, a simple way. Just ban it. Yeah, kind of like the southern border crisis that we're in. The reason we're in it is because this president refuses to enforce the rule of law. All Joe Biden would have to do would be to tell the military, every governor in those border states, and by the way, Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, and Border Patrol, stop everybody that comes in. Stop them. If they get across the border, arrest them, Put them, every one of them, in the process according to federal immigration laws and let the process stop further illegals from coming across. It's easy to talk the game. It's a whole lot harder to play the game. Speaking of Joe Biden... He was out on the parade. He was speaking. He was saying all kinds of things, slashing and burning. He blamed the Republican Party during a White House speech yesterday for the southern border invasion. It's because of those evil Republicans. His statement that Republicans are to blame for the border crisis was followed by another claim that partisan divisiveness has stopped any immigration solutions. So under Democrat rule, let me just be let me, let me just be honest. 2.2 million illegal immigrants have overrun the border in one year, fiscal year 2022. That's a 33 percent increase from 2021. Ah, who's the president during that time? Joe Biden. But it's Republicans' fault. 
2.2 million one year, a 33% increase. Joe said this, I sent Congress a comprehensive piece of legislation that would completely overall what overhaul what has been a broken immigration system for a long time. He didn't go into what that piece of legislation included, but let me just tell you, I won't go into the nitty-gritty, but it's a bunch of crap. It basically would be to legalize all of the illegal immigrants, every one of them that's here in the United States. Just legalize them. Bam, you're now legal. And oh, by the way, it also included a really easy path to become full U.S. citizens. And all of that while he's ignoring the laws. He alleged in his speech that stopping illegals is a priority for him. I can't believe he would even say that. But Republicans have opposed his plan, he said. Quote, cracking down on illegal immigration, strengthening legal immigration, and protecting dreamers, those with temporary protective status like farm workers are part of the fabric of our nation, he said. But those evil congressional Republicans have refused to consider my plan, and they rejected my retest for an additional $3.5 billion to secure the border and funds for 2,000 new asylum personnel. You know, I get sick and tired of listening to talking about the same things over and over and over about the, it's not immigration. And these are not immigrants. They're not even illegal immigrants. Immigrants are people that have applied for or in the process of immigrating to another country legally. None of these folks, those 2.2 million, None of them are legal. They're not immigrants. They're illegal aliens. And by the way, in the federal laws that are written, that's what they're called in the law, aliens. So after he blamed the Republicans again, Biden said the politics of divisiveness in D.C. have stopped any solutions from resolving the invasion our politics have been so divisive. Wah, wah, wah. I know it's getting much better. Wah. No, it's not. But it's been so darn divisive that it clouds the picture, he said. Those evil Republicans haven't been serious about it at all, about a solution. Come on. They haven't been serious at all. No, wait a minute. The governor of Arizona, he wrote to you. He spoke to you. He begged you. Stop letting illegals come across his border. He was so desperate that he got these containers, those shipping containers, and stacked them by two across one medium-length broken section in the border wall that hadn't been completed and put barbed wire on the top of it. And you had your Department of Justice take him to court to get it removed. What are you talking about, Mr. President? Do you think the American people don't see and know and understand what's really going on there? He said it's a clear thing that immigration is a political issue and extreme Republicans will always run on. 
But now I've given everyone a choice. They can keep using immigration to score political brownie points. Or they can help solve the problem. They can help solve the problem and come together to fix this broken system. I don't even want... I don't even... I, I Every time he says this kind of stuff, I jump in there and I scream and holler. I don't do, I don't do that on the air, but I get really upset and say, Mr. President, you want to fix it? Enforce the law. Enforce the law. You know that thing that you promised you were going to do when you got sworn in? Your inauguration? You were going to protect and defend the Constitution and the rule of law? And you were going to make sure, and I'm paraphrasing, but everybody in your administration did the same thing. And everybody from the top to the bottom in your administration is not doing any of that regarding the southern border. In fact, you have made it clear. Alejandro Mayorkas has made it clear. The purpose is to let them all in, which is illegal, Mr. Biden. And I love this. Biden announced he's going to go to Mexico Sunday. And he's going to look at the southern border. And while he's there, he's going to speak with Mexican authorities about global warming and illegal immigration, among other issues. I think that he he shouldn't do the illegal immigration conversation with Mexican authorities. He uh, He ought to focus his discussions with them on global warming because I can promise you the Mexican government is all up to their ears and eyeballs and their worries about global warming. If he wants to talk to and do any kind of negotiating with the leaders of Mexico, he doesn't need to go to Mexico City. He needs to go to the border towns and introduce himself to the drug cartel leaders. They control the entire nation. And as a matter of fact, they're getting billions of dollars worth of opportunity from the Chinese government to push unbelievable amounts of illegal drugs. We've never seen as much as we're seeing now coming across our southern border. Mr. President, hey, my bathtub upstairs sprung a leak. How did I find out about it? It leaked through the ceiling. And then when you saw water dripping down and then it started trickling down, you realized something was wrong, ran upstairs. Somebody had left the water running. So I ran back downstairs and got a bucket. And by this time, water was running down. And I got a bigger bucket. Simple fix. I could have just turned the water off. Didn't do that. That's exactly what Joe Biden is handling this southern border devastation with. It's leaking. You want to fix it, Mr. President? Turn the water off. Stop the leaking. And then we can talk about what we're going to do next. But you, sir, you said the most important thing is to enforce the laws in the Constitution. You're not doing that. You're violating your oath of office. And oh, by the way, I just need to mention this. Constitutionally, You can and should be impeached for what you're doing in that regard and some other stuff, but we won't even go into that today. 
how much time we got left in this in this show today. Wow, we're inside 20 minutes. Day's gone fast. What else is out there that we need to look at? I told you we were going to talk about that dad, that dad from Loudoun County. You remember he went nuts in that school board meeting? They arrested him. He was actually tried. I couldn't believe he was even tried, but he was. June 2021 at a school board meeting, he was used by the Biden administration to justify their attack, the Biden administration's attack, on all the parents around the nation that are concerned about their kids in public schools. He was found not guilty on Wednesday. John Tiggs is a Loudoun County School Board meeting on June 22, 2020, after he tried to express his concerns about the school district's moral decay. What was that about? Well, a Virginia district judge found him guilty in October of 2021. Loudoun Circuit Judge Douglas Fleming, however, cleared Tiggs of any wrongdoing. Fleming determined that the dad not only had a First Amendment right to attend the heated meeting, but also that the superintendent who shut down that school board meeting last summer had no right to declare it an unlawful assembly. The dad, Tiggs, wrote on Twitter Wednesday afternoon, my thanks to God and justice. He was one of more of 250 people who had signed up to speak during the public comments section of that school board meeting that night. He intended to voice his opposition to the board's new transgender policy proposal, which included a mandate that employees use students' so-called preferred pronouns and preferred restrooms, regardless of their biological sex. Before he could speak, school board chairwoman Brenda Sheridan called off the meeting, and the now recently fired superintendent Scott Ziegler declared the gathering an unlawful assembly. Ziegler ordered the hundreds of people waiting to express their outrage at the school board and the school district. He told them, vacate the premises or you're going to be arrested. Tiggs, the daddy, he refused to leave. He said, I just felt led to realize that we could still speak. It's a public forum. It's a public room. It's a public school. It had been scheduled until 7 o'clock for people to speak. I stood up to encourage folks to stay, and if they had something to say, whether they were on the left or the right, didn't matter. They'd be heard, and we'd respect one another and do so. And so people started doing that without any amplification at all. You could hear them fine because it was a peaceful assembly. So despite Tiggs' claim on the First Amendment, police officers handcuffed him, they arrested him, and they charged him with trespassing. His arrest was used by the National School Boards Association in collusion with the Biden White House. And they used it to smear concerned parents as domestic terrorists who required punishment from federal law enforcement. After all, schools, they know more than we do as parents about our kids. They know more about the education of our kids. 
Well, at least the school board associations have teached, taught them that. In September of 2021, the school board, national school board, sent its infamous complaint letter secretly solicited. It was asked for by Education Secretary Miguel Cardona. They sent it to the DOJ, the Department of Justice, which sparked a political attack on parents around the nation who wanted to speak out against corrupt school boards. So despite this victory, tickets to the dad said, I have serious concerns about where we are as a country. We've been subverted by a darkness that is spilling out and rot at all levels and in both political parties. Nothing will change until we, the people, value conviction over comfort. I like that. And the end of that tweet says this, despite the many bad actors here in Loudoun, I'm most concerned about those who call themselves Christians. Many haven't lifted a finger or opened their mouths in protest to the depravity all around them. You heard earlier in the show we were talking or listening to Glenn Beck and Congressman Chip Roy. Beck asked Roy what the people needed to do. What could people, everyday Americans, what could they do? And I know that's another topic we're talking about, the speaker and the controversy, 11 votes, and Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader, can't get elected speaker. That's what the principal content of that conversation was about, but it applies here. Listen, if we want our government to continue to be, no, wait a minute, I'm going to rephrase that. It is no longer to start again our government to start again, to be government of the people, government by the people, and government for the people instead of government of the government, government by the government, and government for the government. The only way to stop that is you got to raise your voice. Speak out. I mean, first of all, it's a constitutional right, but secondly, it's an American responsibility. Stuff that's bad, it needs to be changed. If we can change it, speak up. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance. With TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last.
I just had this one thought, one extra thought about our previous conversation. We talked about illegal immigration and migrants and all that kind of stuff. You know, there are a lot of what are called anchor babies, anchor babies. Now, let me explain to you. I'll do it by telling you what's going on in that regard. Illegal aliens, tourists, and any of the foreign visa workers delivered nearly 400,000 kids across the U.S. last year. 400,000. That's a lot of babies. That number, 400,000, exceeds the populations of a bunch of American cities like Cleveland, Ohio, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Newark, New Jersey, and Orlando, Florida, among others. Analysis conducted in 2018 by the CIS, which is the Center for Immigration Studies, that analysis shows that nearly 400,000 anchor babies, the term used to describe U.S.-born children of illegal aliens, they're delivered across all 50 states each year. Now, you do understand, even though mom is there illegally, anybody that is born inside the United States constitutionally is a citizen. Now, what does that mean? Anchor babies are rewarded with birthright American citizenship despite their parents having no legitimate ties to the U.S. Years later, when the child is considered an adult, they can sponsor their parents and their foreign relatives for green cards, anchoring their family in the United States for generations. Here's an example. In 2022, 300,000 anchor babies are estimated to have been delivered to illegal aliens here. In addition, 72,000 anchor babies were estimated to have been delivered to foreign tourists, foreign visa workers, and foreign students. These estimates indicates that the number of anchor babies born last year, more than the population of the cities that I mentioned, plus Honolulu, Lexington, Kentucky, and even St. Louis, Missouri. The late Senator Harry Reid from, he was a Democrat from Nevada, he once denounced the nation's anchor baby policy, going against long-standing Democrats' rules, which is, hey, we want everybody to come in, any illegal to come in. We need Democrat voters. We'll get them here. We'll make them Democrats. Reed said, if making it easy to be an illegal alien isn't enough, how about offering a reward for being an illegal immigrant? <laughs> In other words, change the lingo to make it sound more benign. No sane country would do that, right? He said, think again. If you break our laws by coming to this country with no permission, give birth to a child, we reward the child with U.S. citizenship a guarantee of full access to public and social services that this society provides, which means you and I, the taxpayers in America, we pay for all of that. To date, to this day, the U.S. Supreme Court has never ruled that the U.S.-born children of illegal aliens must be granted automatic American citizenship, and a number of legal scholars dispute the idea. Many leading conservative scholars argue that the citizenship clause of the 14th Amendment does not provide mandatory birthright citizenship to the U.S.-born children of illegals 
or non-citizens because these children are not subject to U.S. jurisdiction as that language was understood when the 14th Amendment was ratified. Nobody's talking about that. The last analysis to estimate the nation's anchor baby population was published in 2017 by the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, found that at least four and a half million anchor babies live among you and me today. That's a little out of line. I just don't get that. We should never, ever allow that to happen. But we do. We're not pushing back. Why is that? Why is that? Do you hear people standing up and screaming and hollering at the government about, you've got to start enforcing immigration laws. Look, we've got these anchor babies, and they're bringing in their relatives, and they're all legally here. You're destroying the structure of the nation that our founders came over here to give to their families and generations of their kids to create a nation that is totally legally operated, legally inhabited, and will always remain to be the government of the people. They're thumbing their noses at that and doing so illegally. If Donald Trump, was president, and he ignored a bunch of federal laws, and those federal laws applied to millions of conservatives being brought here, being encouraged to come here from other countries. And that was illegal because there was federal law that said it couldn't happen. What do you think Democrats would do? You think they would just sit benignly by and say, hey, man, we're glad to have you. Come on in here. We're the melting pot of the world. We're the United States of America. We want anybody and everybody. Send us your masses. Bring them on over here. We're going to bring them in. Let them come in. I don't know if you know this, but legally, every year, the United States has for years And it's always right around the same number every year. About a million immigrants come here and go through the legal process to become American citizens. One million. Now that may not seem like a lot of people in the scheme of things, you think? Well, let me give you a comparison. One million. That's how much we let in every year. Do you know that that is combined of every other nation on the planet the legal immigration that are allowed by these governments into their countries, all total, never reaches one million like it is here in the United States. Tell me something's not wrong. (laughs) I promise you, we got a lot of wrong stuff here. Well, guys, I want to thank you for sharing this week with us. And I tell you what, keep your eyes and ears open because this house speaker stuff, it's not going to end anytime soon, I think. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday morning here at TNN Live. It's not the first time.